Thanks, Dal. Say he is risen. All right. It's glad to be back at uh, at BCC. I am uh, just humble this again. It's it's um, it's definitely a, a labor of love, but it was it, I've been a little out of practice because it's been a while. I spend too many days probably in hotel rooms, uh, courtesy of United Airlines these days. But uh, uh, preparation is is uh, there's time for that too. Uh, do you remember your favorite, or maybe your your uh, some of your favorite teachers or or coaches? Uh, I remember uh, Mrs. Spalding. Anybody else here on uh, Team U at Laurel Ridge Elementary School up by Robinson back in the 70s with me in that class? Because if if you're there with me, you probably remember Mrs. Spalding. She was awesome. Uh, or uh, Dr. Lawler at Lake Braddock. Uh, you know, he was a calculus teacher. He was very fond of saying. Uh, you know, he'd go through this enormously long proof, and he'd say, this is intuitively obvious to the most casual observer. This is really great. Um, he was great. And I remember my ROTC instructor, uh, uh, Captain John Warren, who uh, just an amazing guy. And I remember my, my summer camp, uh, our ROTC uh, summer camp is a, a fun four weeks vacation, you know, where people are really friendly, and occasionally they raise their voices, and occasionally you're in the forward landing rest position, like Chip was mentioning this morning. But... Uh, the uh, uh, Captain Pauls was the first guy that actually pulled me into his office, and he said, uh, "Cadet Du Hadway, you could be something if you decided to that you wanted to do that. You should seek the challenge." He said, "Seek the challenge." No one had ever told me that ever. You know, seek the challenge. That was it was astonishing to me. But these were you probably have somebody in your life that was a favorite uh, mentor, teacher, coach, somebody in your life that was that first person that told you to think more of you than you thought of yourself and thought you should maybe carry it a little bit further. So I just wanted to uh, get you thinking that way. I think um, those people are really important to us in our life, and I think when you do take that moment to become a teacher, it makes you learn the material a little bit better than you would if you just are kind of trying to go through the motions as a learner. Uh, Scott, can we go to the first slide there? Go ahead and hit it again. So today we're going to talk about reproduction. So this is the last of uh, the eight chapters in, the, in Dr. Coleman's book. On your, on your paper, you can see the first seven. And uh, just by way of review of where we've been, we've talked about selection. Uh, and by the way, these are all Jesus methods for evangelism. This is not, you know, this is in the days before YouTube. You know, there was a lot, of, lot less uh, ways of reaching people, and yet his approach to evangelism is what has really brought us here today. Um, Jesus chose the 12 selection. He stayed with them in association. He required obedience in consecration. He gave himself away to them in impartation. He gave an example through demonstration. He assigned them work in delegation, and he checked on them in supervision. And now we're going to talk about the next and the last step in evangelism, which is uh, reproduction. And what we mean is when a disciple takes all that they've learned and seen and, dis and takes that next step of putting the pattern into action themselves. Um, imagine if, if we never had a coach. We only had players, and none of those players ever became a coach ever. The NBA would be really old. <laughs> I mean, it would be, it would be a challenge watching – it wouldn't be watchable. Um, but Jesus expected <coughs> his disciples to reproduce. Um, that's essentially the strategy for, for uh, winning the world. The principle is kind of basic, 
and it's it sounds really circular. Um, you know, we know Christ and we make him known. You know, there's a, there's a saying that God has no grandchildren, if you've ever heard of that. That's uh, true. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, but I do think there is a, we do have a spiritual heritage. In other words, you can probably remember the person or the people that led you to the Lord. There was somebody that led them to the Lord as well. Uh, there is a spiritual heritage. We're all adopted into God's family. Uh, you know, we're not simply believers because our parents brought us to church. If that was the way you grew up, that's the way I grew up. But that's not what made me a believer. I had to have people in my life who were deliberately pouring into me and asked me to make a decision. But then I had to take it a step further. And now I'm in the position of having to ask other people, whether that's my kids or people in church or people that I encounter in my sphere of influence. Uh, that's how this kind of works. So um, we should give thanks to God for our our spiritual heritage as well, not just our uh, natural heritage. It's kind of like this um, <clears throat> knowing Christ and making Christ known. This is a little bit better cycle than the whole deal with getting a credit score. You know, like, why do I need a credit score? So I can borrow some more money. Why are we borrowing some more money? So I can get a credit score. So I can be in debt for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So this is this is a lot better than that. We're we're, we're knowing Christ, but it can't stop there. We're, why, are we, why do we know Christ? Well, we want to make him known to others. And when we make him known to others, then these men, they know Christ. And so that these men who know Christ then make it known to others. This is a virtuous cycle that, uh, that we want to be a part of. Um, the, uh, the Great Commission is, sometimes we get focused in on the, the pieces, parts of the Great Commission about, you know, we need to go and baptize and teach. And those are all true. But don't lose sight of the main focus of the Great Commission, which is making disciples. The reason we do the, all those things is not so that we can uh, uh, get to somebody's one point in their life where they make a decision for Christ, but it's an ongoing process after that point where we're making disciples and we're continuing to teach, continuing to pour into them. Thank you, Scotty. Um, we're continuing to build men up. Thank you. so that they in turn can build other men up. Um, I would say that the, um, one, one quick side note, and then we'll move on to the next, the next slide. If you, how many have seen uh, Paul, a disciple of Christ, the movie? If, if you haven't seen that, uh, you should see it. I will, I will say that if you're flying on United, live TV is free. This is a movie you can watch for free. So uh, next time you're, you're flying uh, and you have uh, an hour and a half, Turn this movie on because what impacted me about this movie was just getting an idea of what life would be like for a believer in the very earliest moments of the church and trying to understand what they're up against. Because this sounds, you know, when we talk about this long process of discipleship and evangelism, we think, well, that's, that's going to take a lot of time. And how, how is this even going to work? It's so hard, busy. I got acupuncture needles you know, pouring out of every pore in my body and the building's on fire. I don't have time for all this other kind of stuff. Uh, in the first century, and this movie shows you what they were up against. Uh, and if you think you've got it kind of rough and it's tough to be a, a believer now, I, I think you'll have your perspective shifted a little bit by trying to understand what being a believer is like then. The process is still the same, though. It's men and women in, in a believing community pouring into one another, discipling one another, and, and witnessing Christ to the people who are outside the church in the hopes that they too will come to know Christ will make him known. So that's just, just a quick segue that I would encourage you to, uh, to watch that movie if you find yourself a little bit uh, discouraged by today.
But the, uh, the critical thing about all this is to remember that it doesn't end with you. Your salvation is awesome. And God, if you are the only person on earth, Jesus still would have come to die for your sins. But it, you're not the only one on earth, and your salvation is just the beginning of your story. The rest of your story is to know Christ better every day so that you can make him known. It's, it's being in that discipleship journey for the rest of your life. Let's go to the next slide, Scott. So how does uh, making disciples who make disciples actually work? Um, what are the places that that, that that happens? This may sound a little crazy, but I think one of the places that this happens is in church. This, this is nutty, right? I mean, this is, this is weird, but there's actually a lot of those kind of things that we're talking about happening in this building, happening in this room here this morning. Um, it is, you know, consider uh, Paul's letters for a second. You know, who is he writing to and what is his message? If you, if you step, uh, you know, above it. Is he saying all of you need to abandon everything you're doing and travel throughout the Middle East? Uh, it's, it's, no, he's, he's correcting the churches. He's, he's giving the churches encouragement. He's telling the leaders, here's the kind of leader that you need to be. He's, he's pouring into them in that church location. And so I'm, what I would suggest is the church is where discipleship happens. It's not just where, you know, it's, it is where the baptisms happen and where the message is preached and where we teach, but it's also a place where you can come hopefully on a Tuesday morning and be part of this and, and be poured into by the men at your table where you then in turn can pour into the lives of other men. Maybe you're pouring into lives of uh, the youth. Maybe you're serving in ways that aren't, aren't necessarily public, but a lot of this happens here in church. Um, it's, and it's critical that we have a mindset that our, that our doors are open. You know, have you, have you thought about inviting somebody in? You know, hopefully this isn't just BCC in a closed club where we're just busy teaching ourselves what's going on. The idea is that the door is always open so that we can get other people in here so that they can know Christ and that they eventually can make him known. You know, we're, we have this bug. It's a feature of BCC. It's we're in Northern Virginia. People come here and then they leave. You know, some of you, I see uniforms out there. You're, you're going to abandon us soon. You know, some, something bigger than BCC called the military is going to send you somewhere. You know, unless by God's grace we retire and you should stay, really. You should, if you, if you want to talk about retiring and staying here, please come see me afterwards. But, but a, a lot of you leave, and, and not, even, not even everybody who's in uniform leaves. About 30% of our church every year is exiting the door. If our door is not open, uh, you know, this, this church is going to slowly dwindle and maybe quickly dwindle. Um, but our doors are open. But it's not just so that we can you know, re-up the 30% that leave all the time. It's so that we're getting 31, 35% more people. You know, we want more people to come in. We've got a, a great wall. If you haven't seen the great wall of BCC that's gone up, praise God, that it's, uh, it's finally happening. Uh, we're going to have a, um, you know, if God wills that, that we, we uh, finish this building, it's going to be a much bigger facility, and it's going to be another great opportunity. But the, the key is that this church's doors are open because we want everybody to know about it. It's not something we're not just trying to, <coughs> excuse me, teach ourselves. Um, there's a notion of uh, evangelistic techniques that have failed. There are, um, there have certainly been some times in history where we have the notion of everybody's doing it, uh, so we're going to do it. Or if you go all the way back to Emperor Constantine in uh, 325, you know, he became a Christian. Um, uh, he uh, did some good things for the church. He called, he was the one that called the 
Council of Nicaea, which produced the Nicene Creed, uh, which you would uh, certainly uh, say is a, a significant uh, milestone in the life of the church and the world. But there's a wide, you know, and, and then if, you know, not long after that, Christianity kind of became more or less a state religion. Um, uh, but there's a wide gulf between, well, I'm a Christian because that's what the emperor is, and I'm being discipled. You know, I have a lot of people in my family, maybe you've got folks in your family too, that say, well, of course I'm a Christian because I'm an American. But seriously. I mean, that's just, I, I was born here, or this is a Christian country, of course I am. You know, they, they don't necessarily think much about it beyond the fact that this is, well, I was, or I was just brought up in a church, so I must be Christian. You know, they're not being discipled. They're not, they're not in a relationship as part of a church where they're getting to know Christ better. But there is a, um, you know, we, we may be tempted to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, look at all the, the people who say they're Christians. Is that the mark that we want? You know, the, what, we, what we need in, our, uh, in the church, the big C church, is not just numbers of people who claim to be Christians, but we want people who are actively engaged in this, in this life of discipleship so that they can pass it on to someone else. Um, when you believe because that's the way the culture believes, that's going to end poorly, and we're seeing that happen all around us. I mean, right now we've pretty much taking the um, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian thing, that's probably about 15. I'm an American, so everything's okay with me. You know, every, everything, you know, if, if, if you feel that way, that's, that's good for you. You know, is that, that's your truth. You know, that's my truth. That's your truth. It's, it's whatever. Everybody's okay. You know, that's, that's what being an American is turned into nowadays. So if you're, if you're just part of the cultural tide, that's where the tide is going. And so we're going to see a lot of less, uh, and, and maybe it's a, you know, in, in, a, in a way, it's a mercy of God. So if you want to be a believer, you got to mean it suddenly in America. So that's a, uh, that's a thing. C.S. Lewis talked about, I think this is in mere Christianity, but Christianity itself is kind of harder and easier than uh, what we're trying to do. It's, it's really hard if you're trying to fit being a Christian in with everything else that's going on around you and the building being on fire. It's easier when you realize that it's all about total surrender and making Christ the center of your life, and the focus is on him, and I don't have to worry about managing everything else. All I've got to do is getting is uh, get to know him better every day. Let's go to the next slide. Dr. Coleman talks about the, uh, he highlights the fact that evangelism is not done by something, it's done by someone. You know, the, you all, I, with you, are, are the method of evangelism. There's not a there's not a sales pitch. I'm a terrible salesman. I'm married. I've made one sale in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's it. I don't know how to do any more than that. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I guess I could do it again. But I, I mean, in terms of salesmanship, I mean, that's, you know. But uh, I'm just not, I'm not great at it. Maybe you're not great at it either. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is not being a great close, being in that discipleship cycle, in pouring into the men that, that, that you're with. That's what Jesus did. He preached to the masses. Thousands came to hear him talk, and yet he was pouring into 12, not thousands. And it wasn't the thousands that changed the world. It's the 12 that eventually found more, and, and that's how the cycle repeated itself. So you're the method. I'm the method. Um, so uh, as, we, as we wrap up here, I want to just ask you to consider kind of what it 
in the uh, in the areas of your life, what are the sources of reproduction that you might see? So on your on your paper, I just left some blanks for you to consider. Um, you know, in your family, uh, have you talked a little bit about? Uh, you know, are you and your wife, if you have a wife, are, are you on the same page to to train your children, and are then you encouraging them to make an invitation? You know, have you uh, and do you celebrate those kind of moments when your your son or daughter, or son, you know, invited somebody to church or to youth group? I mean, that's that's why I'm here is because Chris Reaper's daughter invited my daughter to come to youth group at BCC in this room. So. I mean, are you, you should celebrate those kind of things. Consider how reproduction might happen in your family. At work, are there people that you're actively discipling that you need to, to say, hey, uh, who do you know that you can, you know, come to our, our lunchtime Bible study? Or uh, have you thought about coming to uh, uh, the retreat? Cool. Who else do you know that should come to the retreat? Because we've got a lot of things that you, uh, you need to know about and they need to know about as well. Um, in, the, uh, in, in community, uh, you know, consider whether or not your your doors are open at home. Are you know Memorial Day is coming? If you if you if you're thinking it's uh, a great time to fire up the grill, why not do something in the neighborhood? You know, and, and maybe you already know some people in the neighborhood. Maybe you need to have a conversation with them about who else in the neighborhood needs to be part of your sphere, so you can have that opportunity to influence them. And that maybe that opportunity to invite them to church as well. Um, the challenge is always to uh, find somebody to extend the invitation. Um, but to me, the life of a disciple of Christ is a lot like being a coach in the end. Um, most players of any sport uh, uh, become great at, at what they do. That's how you know who the coaches are, though. Uh, occasionally we know some of, of who they are. But most every coach was a player at one point, right? There's very, I can't think of too many coaches that I, you know, off the top of my head who were great coaches who never played the sport. Um, but uh, our call as believers is to become a coach and not just rest on, rest on the laurel of, uh, of our own salvation and think that that's the end of the, that's the, end of the story. There's a lot of um, redemption stories, I guess, in sports. I, I hear that Tiger guy came back, right? I mean, he's, he's pretty good, but uh, he's starting to say some words that sound a lot like somebody who's uh, in, in the process of being uh, uh, redeemed, so more to follow on that, but uh, I wanted to Give a shout out to UVA for finally winning the national championship in, uh, in basketball. That's an outstanding, uh, outstanding thing. Um, and some of you may know who their coach is. You know Tony Bennett. He's a believer, and uh, I think it's awesome that we have uh, now college football and basketball. We have two coaches who are uh, not only successful at what they do, but they're believers as well. But uh, what you may not know is that Tony Bennett played in the NBA. Did you guys know that? He was a backup to Muggsy Bogues, uh, and uh, he, he played three years, and then he, then he retired. Did you know his dad was a coach, though? His dad coached Wisconsin to the Final Four. So here, here, here's a guy that, that, as a believer, reached success because somebody poured into him and somebody before that poured into him. And I, I imagine that somebody on that UVA championship team is going to be a coach of basketball somewhere in the not-too-distant future. So here's the challenge for you. Who is your... Uh, who is your coach in the faith? And have they challenged you yet, or did they, and you haven't taken them up on it, uh, challenge you to become a coach and uh, extend, extend the cycle a little bit more? So uh, it's, uh, well, we can get the, the question slide, Scott, thanks. Uh, so what we want to consider as you guys meet and take a few minutes, go get, go get fed, because I know you're, and I appreciate your, 
uh, remaining conscious in spite of the lack of bagels. Um, but um, the challenge is to not just stop with everything that you're learning, but pass it along. And so what I would ask you to consider is who are those coaches in your life? And then how can you be a coach in those spheres of influence that you have? Whether that's at home with your kids, whether that's uh, somebody at work, whether that's right here at BCC leading the youth group or whatever you may, whatever you may be doing, the encouragement I've got for you this morning is to, is to reproduce. All right? God is good.